Um, this morning's Bible reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, um, verses 4 to 10, and that's found on page 857 of the Church Bibles. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. I thought I uh, might keep the, uh, the, the film theme going as we kick off today. There are... Uh, Scenes from movies and lines from movies that just stick in your brain, don't they, over the years? Uh, I thought I'd start you off with some of the classics. So, uh, the line from Clint Eastwood's Sudden Impact uh, that will be familiar to some of you who are slightly older here in the, uh, uh, the congregation this morning. He said, Go ahead, make my day. Right? Who, who remembers that? Yeah? You should never have seen that film. What are you doing? No, 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 not true. Uh, or, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, what's he most famous for? I'll be back. Right? There's uh, other films that stick in your mind because of some of the feelings you get uh, from being in the movie. So I was thinking about Robin Williams, who played uh, a school teacher, a high school teacher in Dead Poet Society. And one of the lines, he was just, you know, in the film, he had enormous impact on the kids who were in uh, his classes. He was one of the lines, you probably remember, Carpe diem, seize the days, boys. Make your lives extraordinary. Right? Just uh, one of those impacting sort of lines. But I want to suggest that perhaps the most impactful and culture-shaping film of our generation, which was released in 2002, anyone want to guess what it was? Top Gun. <laughs> That's very embarrassing for you, you know. Not Top Gun, no, no. Anyone? Another guess? No, 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 no. Spider-Man. All right, Spider-Man. Okay, remember Peter Parker? Uh, he uh, gets bitten, becomes Spider-Man. He has a number of influences in his life, including his grandfather, Ben. And as you get to the end of the film, uh, he remembers the advice that his, uh, actually his uncle, Uncle Ben, gave him uh, before he died. And he re recites it to himself. Remember the line? With great... Power comes great responsibility. I'm surprised you weren't saying that with me. With great power comes great responsibility. That wasn't riveted into your brains? No, no I'm sad about that. If I was to paraphrase that line when I think about 1 Peter chapter 2, with great power comes great responsibility, uh, I would say 1 Peter 2 is all about with great privilege comes great responsibility. With great privilege comes great responsibility. Now, we've already seen as we go into 1 Peter uh, that 
Christians, by definition, are extraordinarily privileged people. And yet, my guess is that few people in Modbury or Adelaide or Australia would see being a Christian that way. They wouldn't see us as being members of a privileged group. So my guess is, you know, as you got into your car and we're getting out of your driveway today, your neighbour didn't rush over and say, are you going to church this morning? Can I come? Right? You know, how come you get to go and I don't, right? I'm guessing your neighbours didn't react that way. When I became a Christian at university, my friends didn't say to me, oh, you're so lucky, I wish I could become one. Uh, That wasn't their sort of instinctive response to me professing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't react in that way. I think it can be hard for believers to feel privileged when no one around you wants what you have. That's the way it feels, doesn't it? Sometimes it's hard to think you're privileged when you get that sort of reaction from people. Peter is writing to Christians, believers in the first century, uh, people who are suffering scorn, uh, persecution, they're being discriminated against uh, by their culture, their society, by their family members. They were being ostracised by the authorities that had influence in that, that societal setting. And I suspect it was easy for them not to feel privileged, easy for them to feel slightly downtrodden and sort of the leftover people. But friends, they were privileged, and that's the point that people make, Peter makes as he writes this letter, just as we are privileged if we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Extraordinarily privileged. And here in 1 Peter chapter 2, these, these short few verses that we just heard read, they capture that sense of privilege, and they also outline the implications of it, the purpose that we therefore live for. It'd be great to um, have your Bibles open, uh, the page 857, if you've got a Bible that you picked up as you came in. It's 1 Peter chapter 2. Privilege, purpose. We start off the section uh, in verse 4, and what we're told is that Jesus is chosen. Jesus is chosen. Interesting way to talk about the Lord Jesus. Verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God, and precious to him. Now, this whole section, as Stephen captured in the kids' talk, is dominated by building imagery. That's, that's the way in which it's, it's framed. God, he is the, the architect, the one who is doing the building work, and Jesus is described as the living stone, the living foundation stone. In verse 6, you see there there's a quote from the prophet Isaiah. Uh, a chosen and precious cornerstone is the quote, and that's being equated with Jesus. Jesus is chosen. But in in what sense is Jesus chosen? I mean, after all, uh, he is eternally God. He's not sort of come into existence at any point. He has always been chosen. And, And the point that's being made here is that Jesus is God's sole provision, God's choice, for the way in which people will be saved. And he is the only foundation on which you can build salvation, the only foundation on which you can build being rescued by God. The quote comes from Isaiah 28. 
And the prophet at that point was ripping into God's people. Uh, he was tearing strips off them because they thought uh, being in Jerusalem and having this great structure, this great temple where they came together to offer sacrifice and connect with God, they thought because they had that building, they were okay. They were trusting in the building. But Isaiah prophesied the destruction of that temple building. He prophesied that it would be raised to the ground, but also predicted a day when a new temple would be built, a new temple in Zion or in, in Jerusalem with a better foundation stone, an indestructible one. In fact, a precious and living cornerstone. And Jesus, he is that stone. He's the one who by his death and resurrection is the foundation for God saving his people from every tribe, nation and tongue throughout the world. And he is described as precious. Now, verse 4, chosen by God and precious to him. Verse 6 repeats it with a quote, chosen and precious. And then he turns it on to the believers he's writing to. Verse 7, to you who believe, this stone is precious. There aren't um, lots of things I own that I'm precious about. You know, if, uh, if I went home today and my house had burnt down, assuming Sue wasn't in it, uh, I probably wouldn't be all that worried. It'd be inconvenient, but there wouldn't be lots of stuff I'd, I'd regret not having. You know. but, but I do treasure the relationships that are significant in my life with my wife and my family and, and the people who are close to me. They, I, I do treasure them. They're precious to me. That's the point that's being make, made here. You, you value being part of the family of God because you treasure what God has done for you and his son, Jesus, and all he has done for us. But notice the flip side that comes up in this passage. Notice there are those who reject this privilege and how precious Jesus is. Verse 7. To those who don't believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And verse 8. And a stone that caused, causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. You pick up the image here. Either you treasure Jesus or he becomes like a, a huge boulder that actually crushes you and destroys you. Now, notice really carefully here, the value of the cornerstone, the value of the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't depend on the value that people place on it. It doesn't depend on the value people place on Jesus. Jesus' worth doesn't lie in his popularity he's rejected by many and always has been in the first century they took a vote and they killed him that's exactly what the, the movie is about that's the reality but God says he is precious God says he is the perfect cornerstone and God says he is the designated one that he has provided for the salvation of his people. So, 
What do we treasure here at Trinity Northeast? Well, we treasure all we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the foundation for our life together, our relationships and our confidence both now and for eternity. Jesus, the foundation. He's chosen. But as you go through this passage, you're also told that if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you're part of a community of believers, that we're chosen. And we're chosen for a purpose. See, what's this building project about? Verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot of concepts that are jammed into a short little space there. The language is taken from Exodus chapter 19 in the Old Testament. God's people had been rescued from slavery in Egypt. They were brought to Mount Sinai and God clearly set them apart to be his people and to serve him as they went towards the new land that he was giving them. And this is what we read in Exodus 19. God speaking to this people at Mount Sinai says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my own possession among the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom or a nation, a tribe where everyone is a priest. That's what he predicts. In the Old Testament, the priests had multiple roles. They were to teach God's word to people. And they were also to offer sacrifices in the temple. Uh, they were the go-betweens to provide access uh, with God. But now with the death of Jesus, there's no more need for sacrifices. Jesus is the sacrifice for the salvation of the whole world. And there's no more need for a temple. That's why, verse 5 of this passage, Peter says to believers, words that are appropriate for us, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. So the building we meet in today is made of dead materials, okay? Totally dead. When you come back next week and enter into this building, you won't come in and go, I think the building's grown. You know, this week it's great. Perhaps it's been watered and it's expanded, you know. You're not going to come in and say that because it's made of dead materials, fixed. It could fall down, but it's not going to grow, okay? It's, I'm not saying it's going to fall down, all right? Don't, don't take me the wrong way, but you understand what I'm saying? Dead materials, that's what this building is about. But this building is full of living stones. That's the image that's being painted for us here. That is, if you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ... That's the way you're regarded. Not isolated living stones, but living stones who are a part of a people that God is constructing with a very particular purpose in mind. That's the way the image is being used. And as living stones, we rest on the cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the basis, the foundation, the source, and the hope for our life together. We are... The priests, we are the temple. So what are we supposed to do? Well, we're the ones who are supposed to offer spiritual sacrifices 
that are acceptable to God. Uh, live in praise for his name. So let me talk for just a few moments about this purpose, this purpose that God has called us to. We're called to be priests. Now, can I say that if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the way you are to view yourself. That's the way your self-identity. I'm not saying it's a great social strategy, you know. Uh, when you're at a party, I was at a party last night, and if someone came up to me, you know, they could ask, what do you do? Now, I could probably say, I'm a priest, you know, but I'm probably one of the few people here who could get away with that, okay? If you were to say, I'm a priest, they would look at you like you're a bit odd. But that's the way you to think about yourself. When are you priesthood? When does that happen? See, I formally was ordained as a minister in the Anglican Church in December 1988, okay? But I became a priest in 1978 because that's when I became a Christian. That's when I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. When were you priesthood? Now, you may not know a specific date, but that's what's being spoken about here. Set apart by God to serve him on a 24-7 basis. That's, that's what God is talking about here. That is your identity. What do priests do? Well, the priests that are spoken of here, they offer spiritual sacrifices. I don't think it's talking so much about what we do when we meet together, although there's an aspect of that. You don't stop sacrificing to God when you meet. But it is talking about the way in which we live our lives in his service. And as you um, read through this whole letter, even what we've read so far, you see the way in which that's captured at different points. Back in chapter 1, verse 13, people who are offering spiritual sacrifices have their hope in heaven and they sacrifice what this world has to offer because of the confidence they have about the future. That's verse 13 of chapter 1. We're not captured by evil desires. We want to live in the service of the Lord Jesus, verse 14. Or in chapter 2, verse 1, it talks about this life that is full of spiritual sacrifice. We put aside malice and deceit and envy and hypocrisy. Now, when you come here on a Sunday, we're not going to be killing too many animals. That's not the way we're operating because you're the guys who are dying. That is, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are given over in the service of the Lord as you live your day, as you live your life every day of the week. And as we go through 1 Peter, that gets spelt out more and more. So, for example, next week we'll explore the way in which that living sacrifice works itself out as we engage in the world around us on a day-by-day basis. So uh, keep reading ahead, keep thinking through the way this is painted. But notice also how it talks about the fact that we live to declare his praises. Verse 9. Your God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Praising God. What, what is this talking about? It's talking about the way in which we recognise 
how wonderful God is because he takes nobodies like us and brings us into his family. That's at the heart of what it means to praise God, to remember what he has done through the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can have life and have hope. And we need to be reminded about that because it's easy to tone down that sense of rejoicing or celebration that we have because we're privileged people. Remember, Peter's writing to a church and this is a group of people that are suffering because they trust in Jesus. They are copping flack, uh, being physically persecuted, uh, discriminated against in terms of employment situations, uh, looked down upon in all sorts of different ways, mocked, scorned, ridiculed. That was their situation. And Peter says, you are God's special possession. That's who you are. You've been brought into his family. Let that shape the sense of who you are and how you celebrate and how you give thanks. And you need that because the temptation, when you sense the way in which you're not you know, celebrated in the society in which you dwell because of what you believe, is actually to damp down the sense in which you praise God. And you sort of go a little bit quiet. Just this week, Sue and I had the opportunity to go uh, for a meal at the home of a couple who'd moved here from the Middle East, a Christian couple. Uh, one was uh, born and raised in Syria, the other in Egypt. So um, very much Muslim context, but they have both become believers as adult Christians. They sense that God was bringing them to Australia uh, so that they could work, particularly with Arabic-speaking people who were Muslims. What they started doing, they got a home uh, in a spot where there are quite a few Arabic speakers, and they started asking people to come to their house to pray for people that they might become Christians. They now have 50 Arabic speakers meeting in their lounge room each week to pray for the work of the gospel in their area. They said there was a couple that uh, comes to their meeting regularly who've come from uh, a nation in the Middle East, uh, just won't name it so there's no possible connection, uh, and in that nation, Christian believers are persecuted very overtly and uh, they get into lots of trouble, especially if they speak at all about the Lord Jesus Christ. This couple spoke openly about their, their faith in Jesus. They did it at the bus stop, they did it at the market, they did it in every context where they had opportunity. They tried to urge people to put their trust in Jesus. And this couple uh, were beaten uh, they were put in prison. Uh, they suffered uh, discrimination in the workplace. That is, they couldn't get jobs. And ultimately, they actually migrated here to Australia. Here's the thing, though. Our friends who invited us over to tea said, but the unusual thing is now they've come to Australia, they don't speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. And they said, we can't work it out you're allowed to here but now they're here they don't and they said look it could be for all sorts of cultural reasons but there is a sense in which when the opposition is overt and strident physical abusive 
at least you know where the line is, and at least you know. And, and often throughout the history of God's people, where the gospel has flourished is where that persecution and opposition has been so overt and strong. Here in Australia, it is different, isn't it? It is more subtle. Uh, it is more culturally sort of insipid. Sometimes it's even hard to pin down. What I'm saying is I think there are challenges for us to be about the praise of God in our context because of those subtleties. And just like those friends who came to Australia, temptation is to dumb it down, tone it down, turn down the volume. That's one of our challenges, I think, living in this society, declaring the praises of him. However, let me say, uh, I think this particular context in 1 Peter 2 has a pointy end when it comes to the nature of the way in which we declare praises when we meet Sunday by Sunday. The language um, that's used in this section uh, when compared with the Old Testament is particularly tied to the way in which God's people uh, praised God when they met together and celebrated his goodness towards them. And I think that should be a mark of us as we meet together Sunday by Sunday. I'm not suggesting this is the only time we praise God, not by long chalk, but I am suggesting that when we get together, we praise God together. I mean, that is the reality. Why do we meet? Because of all God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if that doesn't get your blood pumping, what well, will? And if you can't do it with believers, when are you going to do it? You know what I mean? That's, that's just the reality of who we are as we celebrate. Uh, uh, last night I went to uh, a 40th birthday uh, of a woman and her husband gave a speech. And it, as he gave this speech, what he did was he spent 20 minutes talking about how wonderful his wife was. It's not particularly common actually in Australia for men to do that, but it was a wonderful thing to do. A large group of friends... Some were believers, some weren't, some were family, some were... It was that sort of context, and he just talked incessantly. It wasn't boring, it was a great speech, but he talked time and time and time again about all her wonderful features and how terrific she was in her presence, but to all those who were assembled. When we meet by Sunday by Sunday, we're reminded by God through his word of how wonderful he is. Right? That's what, when Stephen jumps up and preaches regularly here, that's what he's doing. What he's doing is reminding you of things you already know, which you think would be boring, actually. I want to tell you things you already know, you already believe, and you're already doing. That's the definition of Christianity. That's the definition of why we meet together. And we need to be reminded of that because we enter into a world where they'll beat it out of us, subtly, but that's the reality. So as we hear those truths spelt out for us, Sunday by Sunday, and as we meet together in Bible study groups, and as you meet together in breakfast groups with people you know, as you are reminded from the Word of God, what we're meant to do is, is to just declare to each other and to celebrate how wonderful God is. Through this afternoon when Mark, uh, who is here, is leading the, uh, the workshop for musicians, you understand what he's doing? He's, I mean, he'll try and help the group to musically function well together. But that's not really the main point 
of getting here this afternoon. The main point of getting here this afternoon is so that those who lead us in music can help us declare in song how wonderful God is so that we can celebrate that together. We can sort of do the speech at the 40th birthday to each other in song on a regular basis except with God as the topic. That's the purpose of it. And if you haven't signed up yet and you have musical gifts, even if they're not much, right? but you think you could help us praise God, well, come along. You may be told your musical gifts aren't up to scratch. doesn't matter. You'll still be able to meet here somewhat Sunday by Sunday and praise God together, which is the point. That is the point, what it means to be the people of God. Why do we meet? Why do we praise the Lord Jesus? Well, verse 10. Once friends, you were not a people. Once you had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. Isn't that wonderful? That's why we meet together. That's why we praise the Lord. That's why we live for his praise. Priests, spiritual sacrifices, living in praise of God. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a wonderful God, a God who has been so extraordinarily kind to us and taking us from being nobodies who were rebelling against you and bringing us, some of us kicking and screaming, into your family and showing us mercy and kindness. Uh, Father, we pray we'll never recover from that. Uh, we pray that we'll never find the truths of the gospel blasé or insignificant, but we will constantly celebrate how generous you've been to us. We'll especially do that when we meet together, hearts full of thankfulness for what you've done for us. And Father, we pray that you'll help us not to tone down our sense of celebration as we live each day of the week in our households, as we remind one another of what you've done for us, in our work context, as we celebrate the fact that we know the Lord of the universe who rules in a good way for our good. Father, we pray your name and your praise will be on our lips as we live in this world for your glory and your honour. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.